for allowing me to be here uh, to bring the word to you uh, this morning. As my brother mentioned, I am a police officer and standing with my back to the door is giving me the heat of Jesus as I speak. No, no. <laughs> but that's one time to the message that we got today. It's just like, it's a, it's a thing. I'm gonna, if I do that a couple times, just let me know if somebody pop up behind me. Um, let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we, we, we dive in uh, to the word today. Lord, we are grateful to be in the house of the Lord. How awesome it is to be in your presence, to be with the body. Lord, how important it is that we meet with the body. If we don't neglect that meeting, Lord, we're expecting you to do mighty, to, to do mighty things, to move in our midst. Yes, Lord, we will not settle for just being here. We want to meet with you today. Lord, move me out of the way so that your gospel may come forth and those who need to hear it may hear it and respond. Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so today's uh, scripture reading is going to be from Mark chapter 4, uh, 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, 35 through 41. We're going to read through it one time fully, and then we're going to break it down. That's all right with y'all. All right? Starting in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who, is, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And what a word Before we dive in, I'm going to give you background about myself. Okay? So knowing before I was a police officer, I did my thing on the gridiron. Okay? Football player at heart, 18 years of my life, dedicated my life to that game of football. And the position in which I played was cornerback. If you know anything about football and cornerback, you know anything about Deion Sanders and you've got along those lines, I come from that same cloth. Okay? Uh, but in my position, eyes were so important. Where my eyes were placed truly determined and defined my success each and every play. One thing about my position is if your eyes are in the right place 99% of the time, but 1% of the time they're in the wrong place, any football fans out there will know it may cost your team a game. On a TV, you, don't, you just throw your hands up and say, how is he so wide open? What happened? What happened was my brother's eyes wasn't in the right place to start. So it's a, a, literally, I could be looking at my brother here instead of here, and that's it. That's the game. I caused my team the game because my eyes weren't in the right place. The title of today's message is What You're Looking At. Mm-hmm. Like, what you're looking at, and I'm saying that the way I'm saying that. What you're looking at. And depending on where neighborhood you come from, that can be two different connotations. When you hear that, what you're looking at. You, got, you know what I mean? I feel, you feel, you feel, you feel, you what you looking at? That's straight up. See that? See? And that's not, see? 
And I hope that you grasp that and you take it and apply it to this message today. Okay? So I just want to give a bit of context about what's going on here in Mark. Mark is one of my favorite books because he jumps right in. He goes right in to Jesus going to work immediately. So I just want to, before we get to, to chapter 4, I just want to read just the subtitles at least. From, from chapter 3 on, we can go back to one if you would like. You can go and read those in time, but just look at those, those subtitles. I'll even, matter of fact, we'll start at 1. Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. Jesus heals many. Jesus preaches in Galilee. Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus calls Levi. He questioned about fasting. He starts to, to, to battle these Pharisees and these Sadducees. He teaches religious law. He's coming at them, teaching with authority. He's healing a man with a withered hand. He's commanding crowds to follow him. He's teaching against blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He's saying to his mother and brothers, who is my mother and my brothers? I mean, his brother is on the scene making waves. And his disciples and his followers are all watching this, leading up to this point in, uh, in verse 35, when it says, on that day. On this day, Jesus entered the synagogue and began teaching. That's what he started doing. From chapter 3 on, he was teaching and going and going and teaching parables and healing. He's doing all of these things in the witness of these disciples. And on that day and evening time, now, verse 35, on that day when evening had come, that same day. So all this stuff is happening at the same time. Jesus says to them in verse 35, let's go across to the other side. So as we're reading this, there's going to be three things we're going to glean from this. Three things that the disciples at the time may have missed, but we in hindsight get to look at it and glean from it. Okay, three things. They're kind of cool. Most of them are questions. But the first thing is that what did Jesus already say? That's the first point. What did Jesus already say? In verse 35, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's cross to the other side. Jesus told them what's going to happen already. If you read that too fast, you miss it. You just read it. But Jesus is literally telling him, let's cross to the other side. Already telling him, we're going to be on the other side. He already said that. So my question to us is, are we believing in what God has already said in his word? Are we believing when he says what he says? Are we going to stand firm in the promises of God? Are we going to turn from the promises of God? Right? It's been a long day. The brothers are probably tired of walking with Jesus all day long, watching through all these things. They could be exhausted. I give them a pass because I've been there. I'm not as prone to listen to people and things when I've had a long day at work. But at the same time, God's word, if, the, if we truly are who we say we are as believers in Christ, this word is everything. It is our rock. We believe it. We read it. We, we live our lives by it. We swear by it. We would even die by this book. Okay. What did Jesus already say? He said, let's go across to the other side. Verse 36. 
and leaving the crowd, they took with him in the boat. They took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with them. Understand again, we're not talking about your carnival cruise ship here. That this boat they're talking about this is a Galilean, most likely a Galilean fishing boat. It's not very big. It's not very comfortable. But again, Jesus is with experienced fishermen as well. He's with brothers who he literally called off the boat to be fishers of men. So he's taking them into, this is not uncharted territory for these, for these men to be in this boat with Jesus. They're, they're used to this atmosphere. They're used to these things. Verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat for the boat was all ready filling. Second point, where was Jesus? Verse, 30, verse 30, uh, 36 tells us they took him with them. Not only what did he say, but where was he? He was present with them. If you are a believer here, Jesus is always present with you. He's not going anywhere. Take comfort in the fact that he gives us a command. We live our lives off the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go, but he says, I am with you. Thank God. We follow a God who tells us to go, but he goes with me. He goes with me. You have children in this room, you know certain times and certain places they go, I'm not going unless you go. And that's the truth. We should have that same comfort that children find in having their parents with them. Jesus went with them. He didn't say, I'm going to go to the other side. Y'all boys, he did it before. Now we know that story later when he did do that and walked to them. But this time he went. <laughs> he didn't say, y'all figure it out, y'all. He said, this time I'm going with you. But he does go with us. He is present with us. Take comfort, family, that Jesus, the living, breathing Son of God, is with you every step of the way. We'll never go anywhere without him present. Jesus went with them. And now here we go. Verse 37 again. The great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Here we go. A windstorm, which is not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. It's not uncommon for this windstorm to happen. But in this text, right, and it's going to bring me again to the main point, is when the trials of life come, we must strive to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. When the trials of life come, we must strive to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And in verse 37, this windstorm arising, the waves breaking into the boat, and the water filling represents that trial. It represents that trial. Verse 38. This is pretty awesome to read. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And like I said, these are experienced fishermen. This had to be some kind of storm for these brothers to respond this way because they do this for a living. Right? We go to calls for services, officers all the time. But we all have a button on our radios called a signal 13 button. Signal 13 button means I'm in trouble. 
I need help, come get me. Everybody in the entire county will rush to your location to help save your life. Car after car after car after car. These brothers hit the 13 button. So there must have been something, and we know as officers, you don't just push that button just to push. You don't just push that button because you're feeling like you can't handle your little one-on-one -on -one situation you got going here. If you do, you won't catch that grief for about the rest of your career. <laughs> but it was an emergency to them. It was real to them. They, everything was going on so much so that they felt they needed to wait for Jesus. But my, my third question is what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. <laughs> this is one of the, maybe the only point in any of the Gospels, feel free to bring it to me if you find it, that they mention him sleeping at all. That is on purpose. Jesus, they, Jesus never, they never said Jesus, then Jesus took a nap, then Jesus went to, This is the only time I've seen him actually sleep, and I don't think the, that was not intentional. That was very intentional. We already know that we can rely on this word. What, is, what has he already said? We already know we can rely on the word. We already know he's going to go with us. The next question is, what is he doing? He's sleeping. The peace that comes with Jesus, family, is what we need to hold on to today. That insurmountable peace that we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit, that's what we need to hang on to today. That peace. He was asleep. I love a song by House Fires. One of my favorite bands, worship bands, a spontaneous group. In the song, when they talk about where he says, God's not worried, so why should I worry? If Jesus was sleeping, I should be sleeping. If Jesus is not frantic, I should not be frantic. If he's not panicked, I should not panic. We're just saying it. We just sang about what happens when we don't rely on God in prayer. What things we bring on ourselves because we worry and we stress and we strive, but Jesus is asleep in the boat, so rest. If my Savior is resting, I can rest. Again, with, I love to bring children into the pulpit because they are so relatable to us as children of God. If you've ever had an emergency in your home, your children feed off your, the way that yeah. you respond to that emergency. Yeah. <laughs> if mommy or daddy cuts their finger in the kitchen, or mommy and daddy decides to go, oh my finger! And now baby is screaming, babies are crying, I have girls, they are emotional. They, <laughs> It's off. Daddy's fingers off. Now daddy got four fingers. Now everything is just losing their minds. The household is screaming. Everybody. But if I cut my finger, wrap it really quick, and say everything's okay. What's that? Oh, it's just a little bit of, you know, a little bit of juice. What happened, daddy? Nothing. I'm okay. Right? Oh, daddy's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Or if it is a big situation, a serious situation, you gather your kids up and say, hey, God's taking care of us, going to be okay. What we need to do is grab our stuff. we got to leave right now. What's going on? Don't, let's pray. We're going to be all right. God's taking care of us. There's a difference in that than just being frantic. And that is who we should be. If our father is coming to us saying, son, it's okay, you should say, it's okay. Not, 
And again, these brothers, I don't know, I wasn't out here, so I'm not judging these brothers. But they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Is that just a crazy question to ask the Savior? Think about that. Do you not care that we are perishing? His whole mission was to save those who were perishing. But how crazy and frantic we get when the storms of life come and we decide to ask the craziest questions. God, do you care about me and my family? Do you care about if I eat? Do you care if I get to work? Do you care about this? Do you care about that? And he's like, my child, how can you ask me that? I've formed you in your mother's womb. I love you. I care for you. Amen. I never have to ask my parents if they love me. They love me. They love me, and we can rest in that. We don't have to go in panic. It's, I'm preaching from experience. It's so easy to fall into the trap of emotion and feelings. But we got to go back and ask ourselves these questions. What did God already say? He said, don't worry about tomorrow. You see, these disciples only got a couple days of context, family. We got the whole counsel of God on our phones, in our, in our house, in our car, in our pockets. They got an excuse because they maybe ain't know the whole story yet. But family, we got all 66 books. So what excuse do we have? In the storm, when the rains and all those things arise, what, what excuse do we have not to listen to what he said? Not to read this story and say, you know what? Jesus is asleep. I'm all right. My father cares for me. I'm okay. I am a child of God. I have nothing to worry about. The God, again, we wake up and the earth is spinning on its axis, right? Uh-huh. God ain't sweating over that. So you think he's sweating over whatever it is that you're facing, you're mistaken. Because he loves you enough. Yeah. Trials, family. Let's not get a mistake. Every trial ain't the devil. We love to put trials on the devil. It's the devil. It's the devil. Not today, Satan, my brother. We love KB together. Not today. Right? We love to just throw that one out there. But wait a second. I just heard from my brother Doug this morning that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And that can come in many shape or form. Parents, again, in the room. How many times do you have to you love your child, but you discipline them? And as the child, we were all children at one point, we didn't like the discipline when it was happening. The belt and the spoon didn't work out. Why is this happening to me? Why am I in my room right now, though I may not understand? Parents, you know you discipline for the sake of helping this child to see that that was wrong and here's the right path. You would do anything to save your child from going wrong to the wrong path. If you don't have children, you would, your parents, and if you don't have good parents, I'm sorry. First, let me put that out there. That everybody has loving parents. Right? But we have a father that loves us. And if you look at this word, he will not allow us to just run out in the middle of the street and get hit just for the sake of getting hit. Like, you know what? You're learning lesson. We do that sometimes so I can't sinfully. You know what? Go ahead and touch it. I told you not to. <laughs> but that's not his heart. If he disciplines us, it's because he loves us. If he doesn't discipline us, we're illegitimate, the word says. Meaning that we're not true sons and daughters if he does not discipline us. I want to be disciplined by the Lord because it's making me more like his son, Jesus. When we stepped into this game, we sat up to play, we sat up to look like Jesus. So whatever that takes, let's get there. 
Yeah. If that means the discipline, if that means the suffering, we sang it again. I don't know if this brother knew what I was preaching on. He did, but the songs were right on point. Put me on the cross if that's what signed me up. That's what I signed up yeah. for. If that means suffering for the name of Jesus, let's suffer well for the name of Jesus because at the end of the day, there's a heavenly father there who knows me by name, the number, the hair on my head, the number, and he cares for me enough to send his son to die. That's right. He sent his son, I mean, his son's already in the boat. He sent his son to be in the boat with me. So I have nothing to worry about. Don't let the trials confuse and frustrate and cause you to have fear to where you ask questions like the disciples. Do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Come on now. Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. Jesus didn't respond sinfully as I would have if my kid asked me, Don't you love me? Boy, you see all this stuff in the house. Girl, you see all this stuff in the house. <laughs> of course I love you. He stood up. He didn't respond to them. He didn't respond to them. He stood up. He rebuked the wind and the sea to show further more authority than he already did that day. I think he showed enough authority that day, but he said, let me do one more for you. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Family, even when you cry, kicking and screaming, and you failed the first part of the test, he's still gracious enough to caress and bring you in and say, peace, be still. I'm, I'm gonna take care of it, even if you, you're scared. Even if you're frantic, even if I am in control of all of those things, I'm with you. Peace be still, rest in me. He didn't get mad that he was <laughs> woken up in the middle of his sleep. None of that. So here's another comfort, family, that even if you have that season of panic and worry and questioning and all that things, we have a gracious God that still turns to you, brings you to his bosom, and says, peace. That's the God we serve. That even after my, my, my issues and my stress and my mess, whatever happens, I fail to read the word. I read the word, Lord, but I don't want to believe it. You're in it, but I don't believe it. I still need you to show me something. And he shows you something. When he's truly shown us enough. That's right. He's shown us enough. You recount your blessings from the time you, you opened your eyes until now. He's shown you enough. Enough for you all to write books. <laughs> about God's faithfulness in your life. We, how often we forget when that water starts coming in that boat and we don't, got, we don't swim. Like, whoa, 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 is he kind of high? And he says, don't worry about it. Even if it's here, even if all of that, I still love you enough to bring you in and listen to you. I have the authority and the power to stop whatever it is that's happening. And if I don't do that, it's because I want you to be more like my son in the process. Wow, can I speak to a trial of mine? So it's part of my testimony, but like I told you, 18 years of my life, football was everything. Everything in my life. I love the game, still do with a passion. Trial came up, and the thing I love the most, these guys were comfortable fishing. This is what they did. And, and the last place they thought they would be in fear was in a boat, on the sea. That's their natural place. Sometimes... The things that we're most comfortable in, God has to kind of break us out of. Or, or like, yeah, you're too comfortable there. You're taking more refuge in that than in me. Maybe they still was holding on to this fishing thing. 
Maybe they still with the boat was where they felt the most peace. And he's like, no, 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 I'm gonna show you with me is where the peace is. When I was playing ball, peace, that was it. I broke my femur. They told me, granted the, the nurses and everybody weren't the best that day, but they told me, <laughs> your injury happens when people fall off a ladder. I was playing a game. You see this with, with construction and, and firefighters and these things. Somebody ran into me. But in God's sovereignty, he said, you know what? You love this thing. I put you in this thing. It's where you find your peace. This is what you think you're going to be doing. This is your career path. But let me just put myself there and show you that I have authority over that too. Amen. That trial, let me tell you what happened as a result of that trial. I ended up going to a small school in West Virginia called Conco University. Athens, West Virginia, if you never heard of it, you never heard of it. That's the point. <laughs> Jesus sent me there. And there, guess what happened? I found the Lord. I had saved at 19 years old. I found my calling and I married and I found my wife. Praise yes. the Lord. Praise Amen. But I never would have, if he didn't do it, if he didn't bring the storm in the midst of the boat, if he didn't do those things, I would have never met him in the way that I did. Again, hindsight is amazing. And I'm not the hero of that story. It's not me. It is Jesus, the fact that we have a sovereign father who sees me and says, I got a little, I got something for you. You might not like it, but it's what's best for you. And that's what he did. And he's doing that for them in this. And he's doing that for you in your trials. The trials are not pointless. They're not pointless. It's not just a spanking out of anger. I must have messed up last week. Here comes the trial. Our father's not like that. Right. Our Father's not like there's a purpose behind it. So when you face it and when you see it, take a second to think and say, God, what are you doing? What do you have for me? What is going on here? I trust in that, not on me. I lean on the Lord, not my own understanding. Now when I read verse 40, I want you to put yourself there and feel like Jesus, even now, when we come to church, like I said, don't just pat yourself on the back and say, I'm at church today. Let's be expecting to hear from the Lord. So it's right now, when I ask this question, think about whatever it is, that whatever comes to your mind, think about this. Jesus turns to them after he comes to him and he said, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith. And when I read this the first couple times in my life, I saw it as like him yelling, like, why are you still so Why did you? But now, again, having children, little ones, I see it as son, daughter, you have nothing to fear. Why are you so afraid? Do you not have enough faith? Do you not know? I see it as that, not as a rebuke, because this is, again, I have displayed all these things for you. I've showed you these things. Why are you still afraid of those things? What is it? That's a, what is it in your life that is it? When you, when you heard that question, what was it that stirred up in your soul, in your spirit, that we need to take and say, I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to have enough faith to know that he is able to handle it. It could be a trial. It could be a person. It could be a thing. 
it could be a move, it could be a job, it could be just finances, it could be any of those things. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? We should take more comfort in Jesus than we should in anything in the world. Some of some people, when they hear that I'm, you may have felt this way. You heard, oh, he's a police officer. I'm a little bit more safe today. Some, you should not feel more safe with me than you do with Jesus because I got a badge on my chest. And people do. I'm glad that they do. But for believers, we should not take more comfort in something else than Jesus should be our first and foremost comfort. That's right. Not our circumstances, not both cars running well and, you know, everything's going good and kids getting straight A's and, you know, the house is nice and dinner's cooked and all those things. That's awesome, well and dandy, but at the same time, that should not bring us more comfort than the fact that our Savior is with us every step of the way. Amen. That should not bring us more comfort. And that's hard for me because, my, because the world would teach you that security means what? Good family, nice job, good money, nice cars, all your dreams, all the things, and nice clothes, comfort, secure, all of those things. But we should not take more comfort in the, in the things of the world than we do in our Savior. Is he truly Lord and Savior? I'm biting off my brother this morning, but again, do we take God off the box? Do we take our God box off, do devotions, put them back, and take out our work box? I was like, geez, brother, stepping on my toes. But it's true. Am I truly resting in the fact that he's already said it in his word? He's already given me the full counsel. He's with me, and I can have peace because he's finished the work. Is that where my comfort comes from, or does it come from the circumstances and things that happen to me in this world? He's telling you that even if like, the storm comes. Even if the trial comes, my child, you can believe in me. You don't have to be afraid. You can have every faith in me because I'm going to come through. He's undefeated. He's never lost anything. And if I was a betting man, that's where I would bet, on a team that never lost, ever, and is incapable of losing. That's who we serve. He has never lost a fight, a battle, anything. I'm the youngest of four brothers, and when I'm walking with my brothers, you can't touch me. Period. I can be a little more bold out the mouth than my brothers are with me. That's the truth. I didn't have to fear because my brothers were with me. So, again, I, take, I should not take more comfort in that than in Jesus. Jesus is with me. Right? That same security you have when you have your husband or your wife with you or your kids with you or this thing with you, it does not take precedence over that. I want you to, I really want you to make sure that Jesus is at the top of this list. And I think that's what Jesus wanted them to realize in this passage, is that children, regardless of whatever is happening, whatever is going on, Whatever trial that comes that I, that I orchestrated and I also calm, I am your best bet. You are safe with me in this boat. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, 
Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We kind of want to yell at them like, how do y'all really ask more questions? But again, they don't have a full story yet. We do. We do. So if you don't know the answer to that question, let me introduce you. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves and the seal bam, this is Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who came from on high, put on this flesh of ours that we know we struggle with. He put on that flesh, but he did it in a way that we could. He did it in a sinless, perfect way. He lived the sinless life. Was completely obedient to the Father. Died on our behalf because we are sinful. We needed a Savior. We are lost sheep without a Savior. He went to the cross in place of us so that that sin that I'm talking about was fully paid for. Fully paid for. I have the unique opportunity of riding in the front seat with criminals that go to jail often. And oh boy, will they give anything to have somebody else come in that seat so they can be free. How many times have I been in a courtroom, the person that's standing on trial would love to have anything, give anything for somebody to step in their place and say, you know what, give me that punishment. Let him go free. I'm here to tell you that person, who is this? That's who Jesus is. That's right. He's the one who stepped in when our we deserve God's wrath and judgment be in the basis of our sin. There is not a good judge out here that anybody would, would uh, affirm that would allow sin to go unpunished, would allow a wrong to go unpunished, and our God is the ultimate judge. Jesus stepped in and said, I will take that. He loved each and every one of you enough to do that. And not only did he take that punishment, and that's it. That's not what makes him who he is. The good part, the best part, is that he defeated sin and death, not just by dying on the cross at the hands of some nails and a crown of thorns and all those things. No, the best part is that after he died and he was buried, on the third day he rose again, defeating sin and death. So that now, ultimately, completely, not only do you walk free, now you have access to the Father. You no longer have to work for that. You no longer have to do any of those things. You simply are free. How awesome is that? What would you do for the person who freed your family member who was on death row? You would serve that family until your dying breath. But I'm telling you, we got a Savior who did even more. He's worth surrendering your life to. He is worth that, family. Altogether, a couple points. Again, I'm a football man, so I want to remind you, don't fall for the fake. Don't fall for the fake. And if you don't know what that means, really quickly, really briefly, in the game of football, we have plays designed to look a certain way. And after you do that play a couple times, the defense starts to figure it out, right? You run the same play over and over and over again. They start to figure it out. So some genius, I don't know who he was, he decided we're going to make up a play called play action. 
It's a fake. We're going to run the exact same play, but instead of me giving it to you, I'm going to fake it here, and I'm going to go here, and that defense is going to run over here, and I'm going to score a touchdown. But you see, that's what trials do to us. Trials look they're fake. That's what it is. It, 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 it fakes you out and makes you think something is happening when it's not. Sometimes, yes, the trials are very real, and they happen. Not neglecting any trials or anything that anybody's going through. They are very real, and they happen. But even in the midst of them, we know where to keep our eyes. And like I told you at the beginning of this message, if my eyes are off just a little bit, I might fall for that fake. From the beginning of time, that's what the devil liked to do. In, the garden, in Genesis 3, what did he do? He got them to fall for the fake. Did God really say? What did Jesus already say? We're going to the other side. And what did, what did the devil whisper to them? Are you sure you're going to the other side? Did, you, did he really say we're going to make it through this storm? It's the same tactic he's been using from the beginning of time. But don't fall for the fake. And how do you not fall for the fake? You discipline your eyes. In my position, there's a thing called keys. They call them keys. And all a key is is where my eyes are supposed to be fixed the entire time so that I don't make the mistake of falling for the fake. That's good. I'm looking at this guy, and my eyes won't move for him until he does what I expect him to do. When that happens, I got my key, I got my clue, now I can play ball. But if I get greedy and decide I'm either stubborn and not going to look at it, I get comfortable and say, I've been playing football so long, I already know what they're going to do, guess what happens? I get humbled really quickly and they say, boo, shepherd, you stink. <laughs> Period. Right? We must discipline our eyes. Now, how do we do that, family? How do we discipline our eyes? We discipline our eyes by reading God's word and praying. Reading God's word and praying. This is your key. This is what you look at. So that when the fake comes, you say, I've seen that play before. Not going to get me this time. Because I know what God's word says. I know the wind and the waves and all the things are crashing to the boat. But I know he said, I'm going to the other side. So my key is, I'm going to the other side. I'm going to be disciplined enough to believe that that's happening. And I can rest in that. Right, really quickly, I want to show you some examples of some people who figured this part out. Right, Really quick, it's, not, it's probably not going to be up on the screen, but Exodus 14, 10 through 14. There's three places I want to take you before we close. This is Moses and the Israelites about to leave the Red Sea. They've already left Egypt. The last plague has already happened. Passover has already happened. Now they're standing at the Red Sea, and it looks like they are done for. Here, come, and here comes Pharaoh with his hard heart coming after them again. And listen to what Moses says, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there, was enough, there, were, there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Doesn't that sound a lot like what the disciples asked Jesus? Don't you care that we're perishing? Same question. Same kind of mentality because we're all human. And we're all sinful and we're, we're prone to that. For it had been far, listen to this, for it had been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They were, 
Listen to that. And Moses said to the people, come on Moses, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which we will work for you, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. That's the difference. These, Moses had been through his, he had already had his testing. He had already seen the Lord do it. A lot of things through these, these, uh, through, through all the things that happened, uh, the plagues, and all the things that happened in Egypt. He was already on the other side. He saw that. So now, when the panic started, he was able to confirm. He was able to affirm them through God's character, who He is. He said, "The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. The Lord will fight for you." Did He not show that to be true with the disciples in the boat? What did He do? calm the wind and the seas. They got to the other side and, his, and all they had to do was be silent and trust that he is who he says he is. Right? 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10 and then we'll close after that. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 10 and this is Paul now. So we go from Moses to Paul. This is Paul. Paul is, for those who don't know, Paul is uh, is preaching or teaching after Jesus has ascended. Paul was a, a, a straight up Dallas Cowboy fan and now he's playing for Washington. <laughs> you see how he's you see how I did it the right way. I didn't say he was going back. But, but I do that to illustrate the point. He was on one side persecuting Christians and killing Christians. Now he's playing for the Christians. Now he's on this side. And listen to what this, this man says. Right in verse uh, first Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians one, verses eight through ten. He says, "We do not want, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we've experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us." from such a deadly peril and he and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again he says he delivered us from such deadly peril and he will deliver us on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again he is saying yes we were at death we were knocking on death's door but he saved us once he's going to do it again without a doubt that family is what we need to take away here today. Is that that God, his character is available to us in the form of his word. You train, like I said, you discipline your eyes by reading God's word. And when you read God's word, you learn more about his character. When you learn more about somebody's character, you never got to question them, correct? You know somebody's character, you don't ever have to worry about it. If a brother never lied to you in his life, he not, you're not going to just think he's going to wake up today and lie. You just don't think that. But that sinful man, how much more should an all-powerful, all-knowing, sinless God who, who, who never changes his mind and has constantly shown himself worthy, how much more will he do that? So when you read this book this week, or in, for the rest of your life, when you read this book, discipline in your eyes, and you see the character of God, be like Paul and know that if something's happening, he's going to deliver me. And if it happens again, he's going to deliver me again. The same kind of energy that 
my favorite boy, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they went to the furnace. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, guess what? You can throw us in the fire, but our God's going to deliver us. And even if he doesn't, you're going to know today that there's a God. That's what I want to walk out of here with. I don't know about you. That's what the world needs. The world needs a little bit more of that. Because when we face trials, family, we're not meant to look like the world because we have a hope that the world does not have. That is the difference. When trials come, I guarantee you, when you face them with that kind of energy, what did Nebuchadnezzar do? God is the God of all. We're going to make a new decree. We're going to worship this God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When you go through your trials and you have that type of energy, what happens is people say the exact same thing. I want the God you got, because if that's what you're going through in the midst of this, and you can still be that positive or whatever the world wants to put on it, whatever word, they're going to ask you, brother, sister, how are you functioning? Because I got a Savior who is present with me in the midst of this, and I have Come not on. need to worry because my Father knows my name. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I will not need anything. That come on, that's ministry. That's why we're here. Amen. 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 That's the that's the gospel on display. All right. Let me pray for us, and we will conclude the service today. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for who you are. We are grateful that you have shown yourself faithful time and time again and oh how hard-headed we can be and to forget that and ask questions like don't you care that we are perishing? Of course you do because you sent yourself to die for us Lord. You care for us. The fact that we're here right now shows that you care for us. May my family here today rest in you. Rest in the fact that you are a loving, gracious Father. And when trials come, you they come because you love us. And even in them, you will show yourself worthy to us. And on the other side, we will look more like your son. I pray for those in the room who may not know you, that may be seeking refuge from the storm and the trials and testings of this world. May they find rest for their souls in the person. Jesus Christ. Yes. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.